What books have you read this year? Like us, many adults have returned to reading over the last few years. One big driver, especially for younger readers, has been the creation of Book Talk, spelled T-O-K. This community on TikTok started off as a hashtag and now has close to 30 billion views. It's a great place for readers looking for reviews, recommendations, and an open space to chat about books. This evolving space has been big business for publishers and booksellers. Last year, the publishing industry raked in more than $28 billion in total revenue, according to the Association of American Publishers. This is a slight drop from 2021, but is still higher than the years before the pandemic. Now, publishers are bent on continuing this momentum into 2024. However, the industry itself looks a lot different than 10 or 20 years ago. In 2013, Random House merged with Penguin. So now in 2023, we have Penguin Random House, which is the world's largest publisher. And it contains within it dozens and dozens of imprints. An imprint is like a small publishing house within a larger publishing house. And many of these imprints were once independent, but now have all fall under the umbrella of this one massive company, Penguin Random House. That's Dan Sinekin, an assistant professor of English at Emory University and an expert on 20th and 21st century American literature. Sinekin is also the author of Big Fiction, How Conglomeration Changed the Publishing Industry and American Literature. He says that before the 1960s and 70s, the sector was made up of several smaller independent companies. Fast forward 50 years, and it's been largely consolidated. Today, many big names are overseen by larger media companies or private equity firms. Earlier this year, publishing giant Simon & Schuster was bought by the private equity firm KKR that put Toys R Us out of business. So right at the moment, a lot of people are concerned about the future of Simon & Schuster. It's up in question. HarperCollins, which is owned by News Corp, Rupert Murdoch's News Corp, I believe he recently handed it over to his son. And then there is Macmillan, which is owned by Holtzbrink, a German company. And there is Hachette, a French company. And each of these instances, these big companies, these are the big ones that are all in major competition with one another. And each of them has kind of gobbled up a bunch of smaller houses that now live within the confines of the big one. As this corporate consolidation continues, many authors and readers are voicing their frustrations. There's a tension here for people who love books between thinking about books as a part of the culture, has art, and the fact that they exist as commodities within these large profit-seeking corporations. The demands came in the form of quarterly growth, of asking for a certain percentage of quarterly growth each quarter of the year. And so publishers, in order to stay in business, had to figure out how to satisfy these demands as far back as the 1970s and 1980s. And this central focus on profits has many consequences. Research that a friend and colleague of mine, Richard Jean So, has done showed that if you look at the big, those big publishing, conglomerate publishing houses, and you look at the lists of the books that they published, going back 50, 60 years, their book lists year by year were well more than 90% white. 
the authors of the books on those lists. And that stayed true through the 1980s and 1990s and into the 21st century. It's maybe changing a little bit in the last few years, especially since after the murder of George Floyd and the responses to that culturally. But we don't want to be too hasty because we've seen previously ideas that the publishing industry is changing, but it in fact didn't change much at all. Sinek can also pinpoint some examples of authors who've been cherry-picked because they have blockbuster potential. This further tightens the funnel of who and what is making it to print. This is when you have Danielle Steele becomes a household name in 1978. This is around the time that Stephen King is becoming immensely popular. And think of Dean Koontz or a few years later, Tom Clancy or John Grisham. This became one strategy the conglomeration inspired. Another was to go the opposite direction and pay writers as little money as possible. So this is paying for folks that in the business you might call hacks to write cheap books under a kind of formula and to do it in a series that become recognizable by the publisher's brand. So the model for this was Harlequin. Harlequin was a Canadian company that got into the business of romance novels and showed that they could dictate to their hack writers something of a formula by which they should tell these stories. This set structure of writing is a way for publishers to increase the chance of repeat book buyers, but leads to lower quality books. Today, these and other problems are still present in the industry. And on top of this, new challenges like artificial intelligence and the copyright infringement claims that come with it. Despite this, many are still hopeful. Sinekin recommends supporting nonprofit and smaller independent publishers when you can. Two of the biggest ones that are doing quite well financially are and have been some of the longer standing ones are Grey Wolf and Coffee House. There's Transit out in California that has just gained a name for itself because it was publishing the latest Nobel laureate, Jan Fassa. These are a few that come first to my mind, but there are many, many more. And I would definitely encourage listeners to think about where you're getting your books from. Look at the spine of the book and the colophon there, that little logo and who the publisher is and Google them and look on Wikipedia to see who their parent company is. And keep an eye out for books from publishers that aren't the big conglomerates, because the big conglomerates have a more conservative aesthetics. There's fewer risks that they can take. That's part of the consequences of having these economic demands is that you have to be a bit more predictable, a little narrower in the kinds of books that you can publish. To find out more about this topic, links to supported publishers and our guest, Dan Sinekin, head to viewpointsradio.org. Also check out his new book, Big Fiction, now available online and in select bookstores. This story was written by our executive producer, Amira Zaveri. Our studio manager is Jason Dickey. I'm Gary Price. This segment is brought to you by the Capital One VentureX card. Earn 10X miles on hotels and rental cars and 5X miles on flights when you book through Capital One Travel, plus 2X miles on all other purchases. Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Coming up on Viewpoints. Bessie was getting press, but it was only from the black press. White press was not interested in Bessie at first. The courageous stunt pilot you've likely never heard of. Then. When it doesn't work, meaning because you forget, You screw up. Don't turn goof-ups into give-ups. Why it's so hard to break those bad habits. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. 
These stories in-depth on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. viewpoints for this week. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows and find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.